Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. How do you feel about the future? Is your outlook positive or negative? And how much does the Bible help form your view? In Daniel chapter 7, we transition from the historical section of the book to the prophetic section. We move from what happened in Daniel's life to what God showed Daniel would be the future for God's people and for the world. While many think of the prophetic words of the Bible as being negative or even scary, the Lord usually delivers these messages to the Bible writers to give us hope in the midst of difficulty. Here's Pastor Jim in part one of his message, Keep Your Eye on the Ball. Well, when I was younger and through school, I played baseball. And when you're up there batting and you take a swing at a pitch and you miss, it's very common to hear the coach or the manager yell from the dugout, the title of our message today, keep your eye on the ball. I don't know, maybe it's the rebellious streak in me. And sometimes I felt like yelling at me, what did you think I was looking at? <laughs> And it was, but it was a lot easier when it was when we were younger because when we were younger we were just through what you call fastballs, and some guys' fastballs weren't very fast, and that was like hitting a beach ball. To be honest with you, so we, I really liked those days. Uh, I remember when I was eight years old, I played with the eleven-year-olds, and uh, they were throwing it a, a bit faster for sure. But then when we got older, then they started throwing uh, what we call junk. Junk is curveballs, if you know baseball, uh, sliders, screwballs, all different kinds of uh, forkballs, all different kinds of things. By the way, your pastor was a junk pitcher, and so that explains my not-so-great right shoulder. And so uh, it was just harder, and it seems to me that's the way life can go a lot of times. It seems a lot simpler when you're younger, and the older you get, the more complicated uh, that it gets. And, and it seems to me that that's even starting at a younger age than it used to. Life is, is seemingly more complicated for a teenager today than it was when I was a teenager back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, if you're a teenager. And um, for, for people and our, even followers of Jesus, a lot of us, our tendency is to focus on the here and the now and yet a lot of us are fearful of the future. And when we're followers of Jesus and we're only focused on the here and now, and we're fearful on the future, it's very easy for us to miss God's plans and God's purposes. And so as we move into Daniel 7, we're moving into the second half of the book. It's cleanly divided, six chapters in the first half, six in the second half. We move from the historical section, so the first six chapters were history, and now we're moving into the prophetic section, or if you like it better, the apocalyptic section of the book. And you know, a lot of people find these parts of uh, the Bible to be scary, or they're just like, I just totally don't understand it. Or some of, the, some of the symbolism is really, really scary to me. And yet, these parts of the Bible are often written at the lowest points of God's people. Because these sections of the Bible were written to bless God's people and to give us hope. 
So we've actually slightly changed the name of the series. In the first six chapters, the name of the series was Living in a New World. But now the last six chapters, it's going to be Seeing a New World. As God is going to give Daniel visions and he's going to be looking ahead of what is going to happen. Well, what was the, what's the history? Because of the, the sin of the people of God, Jerusalem was conquered and many, like Daniel, are now prisoners of war living in Babylon. And, and Nebuchadnezzar had surrounded the city and it was quite a, quite a siege of the city. And they've been down there for a while now. And just think about it. God's people, who he loves, are taken away as prisoners of war. And he's giving Daniel apocalyptic visions. He's giving him prophetic visions. Do you think God is doing that because he wants his people to give up? Well, no. He wants to give them these visions of the future so they really dedicate themselves to his plans and his purposes. We, we said Wednesday night when we ended our series on different views of the end times that Paul's told the Thessalonians to comfort one another with these things. But that's not always been a lot of our experience for those of us who've been around the church a long time. But, but God gives prophecy to comfort his people and to give them hope. So look around the world today, and the big question it seems to be, at least in our country, I'm sure it's everywhere, is when is this all going to end? This situation that we find ourselves in right now, everybody wants to know when it's going to end. But I think a better question for a follower of Jesus, and if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad that you're here. I'm thrilled that you're with us. Please say hi to me on the way out. You say, nobody would ever come up to you, Pastor Jim, and say, I'm here, but I'm not a follower of Jesus. Actually happens fairly often, so that's totally okay. And so I, I didn't grow up Pastor Jim. You know, I, I, I became a follower of Jesus later in life. But I think a better question for a follower of Jesus today is not when is this you know, all going to end. I think a better question is how can we live faithfully to God in these days at such a time as this? Now, I will admit that these are hard times, difficult times. At the very least, they are very inconvenient times. And so, but the kingdom of heaven, as we're going to see, belongs to God and his people. So, loved ones, let's try very hard, and it takes concentration in the midst of difficulty, to keep our eye on the ball. Let's try to keep our eye on God's plans and God's purposes. Now, that does not mean we ignore our troubles, That means as followers of Jesus, we know, as we just sang, sang, that God is good and we do our best to keep the finish line in view. Always keep the finish line out in front of you. That means that although things may seem to be completely out of control, As Daniel is going to show us in his prophecies, they are completely under God's control, which when you realize that and when you think about it and you keep it out in front of you, it's going to make your faith 
stronger and it is also going to make you less anxious and it's going to help you trust more in that God knows exactly what he is doing and what is going to happen. Now, when we come to chapter seven, remember the Bible writers are not so concerned about time the way we are. It actually takes us back in time. So we're, we're going back in time because remember in chapter six, if you're with us, the Medo-Persians have come in and taken over the, the Babylonian empire. But we're going to go back in time to a vision that Daniel had during the Babylonian uh, empire, uh, probably more or less 550, 553 BC. So we're probably going back some, some 10, 15 years or so. And it's probably just about the worst time of the captivity, Why would you say that, Pastor Jim? Well, because Belteshazzar is the king of Babylon, and he was just the worst of the worst when it came to uh, the Babylonian captivity. And the the people of God have been in Babylon a long time now. It's a 70-year captivity. How you date it kind of kind of varies in that, but there, let's just say it's, a, it's been a 50-year kind of a thing going on right now, at least since, since Nebuchadnezzar first invaded uh, Jerusalem. And so they're kind of at the point in time where if you were either here or followed along with our second Peter studies in the New Testament, kind of the thing, kind of like what people said about Jesus, where is he? People of God were probably sitting there in Babylon going, even though Jeremiah and the other prophets had told them how long they were going to be there, they're probably wondering, like, when is this all going to end? I mean, this is horrible. They said this about Jesus. Where is the promise of his coming? Now, there's a difference between come, Lord Jesus, come, and where is he? And so, or where is him, where is him keeping his promises? When we're questioning the promises of God, let's just remember that is oftentimes a sign to you of a weary faith. It just means that you're just getting tired. It's a good time to get away, maybe get some extra rest, maybe stop with the the social media and the TV for a while and to say, you know, I'm just gonna get some time away with God. I'm just gonna focus, maybe sleep an extra hour every day. Somebody like, yeah, I could could go for that. And, And just really relax a little bit because a wearying faith will often lead to a weakening faith. And that's something we all need to be very careful of. In other words, they were saying, where is our savior king? Where is our divine warrior and rescuer? And so basically the people of God had been longing for God's perfect plan and purposes for his people. I think when we think about the emotion that they, some of them were feeling. I think Psalm 137 verse one really, really captures it. Just picture yourself. It's a beautiful day and you're on a picnic and you know, the, the kids are running around. You're there with your friends and, and you say to your friends, you know, let's, let's go down to the river and listen to what the Psalmist writes. Psalm 137 one By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. Zion, another name for Jerusalem. What are they? They're homesick. They just want to go home. 
And I know for a lot of you, you, you long for heaven. You, you just want to go home. But God has stuff for you here. He has stuff for me here. He has stuff for us as a church here. Now, when we come to uh, chapter 7, verse 1 through 8, which we'll look at this Wednesday, it, it depicts the arrogant boasting of the earthly kingdoms. And then we come to, when we come to uh, verse 9, we come to three scenes where Daniel tells us his vision of uh, the future, of, of what is still to come. And so if you're taking notes, we'll divide this section up into three sections. And number one is the courtroom, the courtroom. So look at verse 9. He says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool, like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. So the courtroom is set. You know the way it walk. It is in a courtroom. We haven't. What does the court person say? All rise. And then the judge walks in and all eyes are on the judge and he takes his seat and then the people sit down. And the interesting, the judge here is called the Ancient of Days. Now, any one of Daniel's readers or an early, you know, you know, Jews that would come after that would know exactly who the Ancient of Days is. That is God himself. And so God himself has walked into this courtroom, said the court was seated at the end of verse 10, and he walks into the courtroom and he is seated. Now, this is where we have to forget that we are Americans. And it is important to see what we're looking at here through the eyes of an Israelite. Ancient to us means what? Old, frail, and falling apart. Any of you feel old, frail, and falling apart? Yeah, some of you, raised, some of the people in the last section raised their hand. They were like 28, right? I'm like, I'm like, you know, like you're not old, frail, and fall. But it only gets better from here, guys, right? And that's the way that that we think of being ancient, but that is not the way an Israelite thought of it. They knew that this meant that the eternal, all-powerful God was in the house. When we think of ancient, it means that He has seen everything already. And he sits down, symbolic of his authority. And he, do you get the picture of him just walking? You know how the judge just walks in and just calmly sits down. And the idea here is that God sits down and his calm sanity can be seen compared to the insanity of earth. Do you feel like earth is insane right now? And just remember, God is just sitting up in heaven going, yep, just like I knew it was going to pan out, just like I told everyone it was going to go. His clothing is white as snow. What would that, what does that mean? That is symbolic of his uncompromising righteousness and his radiant purity. His hair is like pure wool. It's white, symbolic of his great wisdom and his ability to judge the world. Yet notice at the end of verse nine, it says his throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. 
And so it's not like he just comes in and sits in a judge seat like we might be used to seeing. It seems to be that his throne is actually a chariot. It has wheels on it. It's burning with fire. You say, what's the deal with the fire? The fire in the Bible is a symbol of God's holiness and God's judgment. So this is a or the great day of judgment. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, this chariot, this throne, this, this seat that he's on has wheels. The idea is that God's justice is mobile. It moves throughout the world. There, there's no escaping it. God can, can move to and fro throughout the world. Now, you might be thinking, well, if he can go throughout the world, there's no hiding from him, and that is the truth. And so uh, in such scenes in the Bible, it's meant to give us two different reactions. If you're not a follower of Jesus or you are an enemy of God, it's meant to evoke fear in you. Because the scripture tells us that fear has to do with punishment. And you should be afraid of such an all-powerful, all-knowing God. But friends of God, this is to comfort us and to encourage us that God is going all around, that he has seen everything. He has seen all of the evil done to you. He has seen all of the good that you do. Now, some of you might say, well, how do I know if I'm a friend of God? Well, it's very simple. Jesus told us this. We say it many times. Jesus said, you are my friend if you do what I say. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Well, what did he say to do? He said to repent and believe. He said to turn to him, turn to God, put your trust in him and follow after him. That's how you know you are a friend of Jesus. And so here we have this scene where the, where the Holy One, the Holy God is there. The judge has come into the room, the Ancient of Days. The chariot with the fiery wheels is there. And when we go back about 150 years or so, Isaiah saw a similar thing, the throne room of God. And he said, even the heavenly creatures could not look upon the glory of God. And Isaiah 6, 3 says this, and one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts or the Lord almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so the angelic beings, they can't even look at God because he's so holy yet they praise him for his glory, for his righteousness, for his wisdom, and for his power. Let's look at verse 10 again. It says, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. So the idea there is the picture of, of God consuming his enemies. And they're mentioned in verses one through eight. And then it says this, a thousand thousands ministered to him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Now, you may not know this, but Bible scholars tell us that the highest number, now for us, what is the number? Infinity, right? <laughs> Pretty high number. And so, but in the Bible, the high, in the ancient world, the highest number they used was 10,000. They didn't go over that. So remember that the next time we sing 10,000 Reasons. Because some of you might sing that song and be like, well, only 10,000? Why not 20,000? Why not a million? Why are you cutting God so short? Well, because the writer of that song, one of my favorite songwriters, knows that the highest number they used was 
10,000. And so here, Daniel knowing that, or God knowing that, God giving the vision to Daniel says 10,000 times 10,000. Now, is that supposed to be an actual number? No. Some of you are like, got your phones out with your calculator on them. How many is that? Okay, that's not it. It's supposed to give us a picture of a vast angelic army there in the court. And the court is seated, it says, and the books were opened. So that's the courtroom scene. That takes us to number two, the accused. Now, perhaps we don't even say the accused. We might just say it's the guilty, since God is both the judge and the eyewitness. Since he's the judge who's seated to to judge the court, but he's also been the one who's been going around the earth, so he's seen everything. See, really, if God is the judge and the eyewitness, what case does anyone really have? You know, well, judge, this is what happened. A judge is like, no, you're lying. That's not the way it went down. Let me tell you the way it went down. And so there is, there is just both the judge and the eyewitness. Verse 11, Daniel says, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words, or some versions say the boastful or the arrogant words, which the horn, we'll come back to the horn in a second, was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now, what is the horn? The horn is a person uh, mentioned in verse eight. And in the first eight verses, we see that he is powerful, intelligent, and persuasive. Now, Bible scholars debate his identity, but nobody debates his power. This is, a, this is the most powerful being that the earth has seen. Yet, as soon as he mouths off to God, you know those people, don't you? Yeah, when I die, man, I got a few words for the man upstairs. Yeah, I got a few things to tell him. When I meet him, I'm going to set him straight. That guy is going to meet God, and God is going to go, I have, and he's gone. <laughs> Let me tell you, poop, gone. <laughs> that guy's not even, you got even to get a sentence out if they can even get a word out. That, that guy, that's going to be the, the we're all going to be there like, yeah, I knew he wasn't going to have a few things to share with the man upstairs. So here the Lord tells us that he takes the most powerful person in the world who opens his mouth and poof, he's gone. He's gone. Now, why would God tell us that? to show his people in difficult times how powerful he is. He takes the most powerful person in the world and he does away with them like that. He wants us to know that no one can stand against him. And if you are his child, ultimately, no one can stand against you. We live in a time when people have a lot of boastful words against God, don't we? We live in a time when a lot of people have a lot of really arrogant things to say to you if you are a follower of Jesus. But they'll have their poof day. And those days will end and followers of Jesus will be with God and the enemies won't. 
Jesus often quoted words are very, very appropriate here. Matthew 10, 28, he says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. There is only so much that people can do to you. Remember that. You don't like the way you're treated. You know, somebody makes fun of you or your faith or something like that. Remember, there's only so much they can do. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather, contrast, fear him. Another version says, be afraid of the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Friend, if you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, you're watching us online or listening on the radio and you are not a follower of Jesus, let me tell you, this is a call to you to put your trust in Jesus Christ. This is a call to you to move from being afraid of God, destroying your soul in hell, to becoming a child of God by simply putting your trust in the way to heaven, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to bring you hope, encouragement, and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please pray with us that Changed by Love will make a profound difference in many lives. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Teaming together in prayer is the key to a spiritually rich life. It really does take a team of praying individuals to reach thousands. Thank you for being a part of the Change by Love support team. To find out more ways to team with Change by Love, go to our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you could call 862-217-9686. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.